Vroom vroom, and not Vin Diesel this time. In honor of Gran Turismo, what video game activity do you think you could do in real life? I'm Katie Rich, and my entire household is run by Mario Odyssey these days. So right now I'm thinking about the corn cob in the Luncheon Kingdom that you have to run over to go get some, uh, I think, some special coins, had a power mood. Um, I think I could do that. I'm Matt Patches, and uh, I think I could do one of those Dovahkiin shouts from Skyrim. Oh, yeah! Oh, nice. Hold on! <laughs> like, uh, hey, it's me, David the Seven, and thanks to Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, I'm now pretty sure if you gave me a glider, I could get on the back of a dragon. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I... This is a really good question. For whatever reason... I'm going to say the answer is that I could pilot one of the hovercraft things from Wipeout, particularly Wipeout XL, uh, the Magic it, Mike it, XXL of the Wipeout franchise. Is, is, is it Wipeout like the game show where they just fall down on things? Not at all. Uh, it no. is a, a futuristic techno theme. I mean, this comes from the age when like even actually after techno, it had its like its big moment. But this was the, the dregs of it. Um, and you blast techno and zoom around racetracks into a little hover vehicle. And someone recently coded like a browser based version of the original Wipeout, um, basically taunting Sony or whoever was behind the, the who owns the rights thing at Sony to remake the game, um, because of this illegal project. And so you can play it with your keyboard, which is not the ideal way of playing it on the internet for free right now. The Wipeout, wow. XL, Wipeout XL, nowhere to be found. My Mario Odyssey corn cob really is more like wipe out the TV show. So I think I've got my dream. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 441. It is the week of Wednesday, August 23rd. That is the day that in 1869, the first carload of cross-continental rail freight that had boots and shoes in it uh, arrived in San Francisco from Boston. It took 16 days. Think about that next time you fly across the country. We did it. Complain about it, David. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) You, you just went. You flew across the country recently, and I'm sure you complained about yeah, it. I'm just, I just sure did. I guess out there, uh, it's been a minute since we were all in one place. Uh, nature and vacations and cross country travel and all kinds of stuff. But look at us. We're together before David United. runs away to a bunch of fall film festivals, and me too. But David goes first. <laughs> David uh, goes first. Speaking of going first, David, yeah. I know we have a review. Holy moly! Look at you, keeping us on track. Uh, we do indeed. We have a review that is in explicit reference to the last episode, the All Daves episode, if you mm. will. Um, as you will be able to tell by the fact the entire review seems to reference Marvel Snap, which was a uh, a big topic of discussion last week. This is from Jaeger. What is it not a big topic of discussion? I mean, in, in my head, it is a constant topic of discussion. In my house, almost never, because it would cause a lot of eye rolling. Um, great episode, they say. Got my first infinite card back. During the show, I was playing with Ironclad and Jeff, humble brag, and secured my first ever infinite season. Double humble brag. Thanks, guys. Well, Jaeger10273. I got a humble brag right back at you. I, uh, almost immediately after recording that episode, pivoted away from my kitty bounce deck, went for more of a, what, what's in my deck? My, my... My uh, Dark Hawk, Black Bolt, Stature, Korg, Captain Marvel-y kind of deck. And rocketed right up to Infinite myself. Thank you very much. So... I've been playing Marvel Snap for months and I don't know what Infinite means. I know, I feel like I'm not supposed to talk about it. I know, I guess I'm still a noob after months. I don't understand. (laughs) A noob, I think it's not necessarily about... Uh, I'd say noob is not about your achievement so much as the state of mind. Um, and okay. in that sense, yeah, it's you certainly, are it's profoundly certainly, a noob. I will say, I, I, I believe that is true about this game. Because it, for me, when the, the switch flipped and I gained confidence, Katie, is when I started thinking about it as a poker app. Which is why David is so good and so addicted to it. It is mm-hmm. poker, and the more you fold, and the more you don't play hands, 
the better you do, and the more it, it the is deeper that David descends back. into hell. <laughs> yeah, but there's I still a card know. back that's like it's wizard poker, which is an apt description, I suppose. I would I would probably not necessarily say that I am to use Patch's term so good at it so much as if you you know go on YouTube and see what people are recommending as the decks to use, and then use one of those decks that you like, and then play. Yes, but you still have to uh, play it correctly. You, you still have to like count. I suppose, the cards but it is not. Exactly it's not rocket science. Right, it never occurred to me to look up science. on YouTube what decks I should have. Maybe that. I love this. This episode is going to end with a gay prince romancing the president's son. This is Listen, we I... do it all on this show. <laughs> That's the next season of Marvel Snap. Actually, <laughs> if there was a red, white, and blue Marvel Snap season, I'm not saying that it would make me watch Red, White, and Blue, a movie that I am in no way opposed to seeing, but I just haven't at the time. But uh, I have not made it my business to familiarize myself with any of the other characters that have been highlighted in the Marvel Snap season, so I don't know if that would do the trick. <laughs> well, we also have the cards a, do. We yeah. also have an email, and this is from the episode uh, that Katie and I did, or in response to it. Uh, this is from Matt, who the subject of the email is, Thank you, pre-rolls. Hi, guys. First time, long time here, writing in about Katie's question about a movie's stars slash producers thanking mm. people in the theater. I don't have an actual answer as to the behind the scenes machinations that bring these about because we all know that studios and executives wouldn't do it if there wasn't some kind of financial or PR justification for it. But I do want to share why I enjoy them and maybe the motivations for the people recording them to do so. I worked in restaurants for years and I always deeply appreciate a thank you from a customer. As a customer, especially when I'm with my son, I do my best to thank people who made my food and served me. I mean, could you imagine not thanking the person who made you dinner? I'm a teacher now, and there are kids who thank me at the end of class every single day. Even on the days where they're definitely not feeling appreciative, they do it. Years ago, there was a fire that destroyed me and my wife's apartment, but we woke up and were helped out of the building by the responding firefighters. We made sure to go to their next social event and personally thank the members of the department for their help. All these experiences have made me believe that showing appreciation to one another is a vital part of making the sometimes miserable human experiments experience more bearable, and I'm always happy to receive a thank you from a customer, a musician at the end of the set, a student, a star athlete, a stranger coming into Wawa behind me, friends, family, or a movie star before a movie. It's a good reminder that what they do is just a silly thing that wouldn't be at all possible if it weren't for people like us. Sorry I went long. Love the podcast. Thanks for everything you do. And the thanks is in bold. That's Matt from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And... Be more like Matt, all of us. What, Go to Wawa, what a, he's right. What a lovely email. <laughs> I know people from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Lovely people. That's such a like an uncynical read on motivations for studios. Like acknowledging that it's possible there's probably cynical reasons for it, but I just I like being charitable and just taking the thanks at face value. Yeah. You Going can to the get... firefighter social event. God, these Matt and your Matt and your wife, you guys are killing it. Please yeah. keep doing what you're doing. And raising a child to kill it and yeah, thank yeah. restaurant employees. That sounds yeah, great. Write in again and tell us how to raise our children. I feel like that's the next step for me. <laughs> yes. Once I have children, I will definitely need Matt's advice. Um, uh, if you want us to read your responses to our podcast on the podcast, you could leave us a review in the American podcast app, the Apple I podcast app. It's not called iTunes anymore. Uh, if you give us five stars, say what you want. We will read it aloud. Actually, we'll probably just read it aloud anyway. And if you want to send us something like Matt sent us, you can email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Also, international reviews there if you uh, want to pass that along and make sure that we see it. Uh, but that's it. More show now. The title of this segment in our working doc is Matt Patches has a question, which I do think could be the title of like 60% of the segments we've done on this show over time. And I I always like it because I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't it, know what my batting I I, average is here. I don't either. And I kind of know where this one is headed based on our pre-show conversation, but maybe I don't because often you surprise me. So Thank what's you. your question? So here's what I've been mulling. Obviously, we are still in the thick of both the WGA and the SAG after a strikes. Uh... There doesn't seem to. It's very difficult to say if there's an end in sight. I actually don't. We think talked the writer strike is ending. I don't. Well, I've I've had conversations with 
producers and below the line people and and writers recently over the just past few weeks and some people think like i I want to speak out of turn but some people think yeah the wga thing could be september you know to the table in september over by october maybe things are getting back shooting in january but if the wga doesn't work maybe they'll pivot to sag and figure that out like i don't know it just seems like a total mess and everyone who thinks they know also caveats everything with i don't know um Mm -hmm. so you know for for right now we don't know anything about how close it is it doesn't seem like it's happening uh the week of the release of this podcast so it's ongoing and it's certainly ongoing before the podcast wait wait i'm getting breaking news that both (laughs) strikes have just simultaneously ended just to make you look dumb they told you actually weirdly and on the the last day of this podcast on the last episode of the podcast (laughs) oh boy oh Um, boy this is not the final episode of the podcast uh where where was we are going this is a good is we're at the end toward the end of august we're going into the fall we're going into the festival seasons where david's about to ship off tell your ride katie's getting jazzed to up. war the to the trenches happening. yes mm-hmm. uh, we bid you farewell uh write us letters from from the front lines um and and what the strike and everything that's kind of looming and the award season trying to pick back up and trying to to make the fanfare happen when are the actual oscars katie march uh, march year, okay. well so obviously Unless there's a the lot strikes of aren't resolved in which Unless case the, yeah, the emmys are somehow in january uh, yes year, they so are anything could really happen here but you know there's been a lot of anxiety in the walk-up to the award season and the festivals about can you do it all without the actors can you do it all without the pageantry of award season and this week there's been an influx in that that the award season will rebound because SAG is actually giving different movies one-off interim agreements that will allow movies like Ferrari with Adam Driver, the Michael Mann movie, or Priscilla, the Sofia Coppola movie, um, or Luke Besson's dog movie or whatever, <laughs> dog band movie for some reason. Just lots of different uh, uh, movies that will be playing festivals are getting interim agreements allowing the actors to promote them. They will be able to go to the festivals and they will be able to walk the carpets and do press and promote the films. Now, on one hand, like they, these movies probably need it the most. These, these more boutique uh, indies or, or the specialty films as they're often categorized, the award season contenders need actors to get out there and talk about them and look flashy and strike up some awards buzz. That's how these movies often find their audiences and and make money and to be successful to not have them be promoted would be to bury them here's what i don't quite understand there's a bit of so much conversation about like what is and isn't scabbing around sag especially um where like podcast hosts we have not really had this anxiety i don't think but like get anxious about talking about movies at all as a as well, a when, when the... you're when you try to join SAG patches, it's all going to come back to haunt. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but like, obviously, lots of, lots of podcasts have shut down. One of my favorites, the Always Sunny podcast, stopped doing episodes because that's built into the SAG agreement. Like, you cannot promote your show on your podcast; you should shut down. And and they did. And but a, a lot of like kind of in orbit members of the press are like, "What's scabbing? What's not scabbing?" And yet, here's a moment where like SAG is saying, "Go promote." movies and i i wonder what you guys feel about this award season whether this is the right move by sag to does it feel like undermining the strike to you from the outside do you feel like it is the right move to to help movies does sag need to be helping movies at the same time it is trying to like stand in solidarity with all this business and and push back against the studios like where do you fall on how award season is doing the tango here with this strike that needs to leave a crater, needs to kind of have the industry in a headlock for it to make impact? What do you, what do you make of all these interim agreements this week and, and going into the fall season when people need to... So the interim agreements are only happening with studios that are not part of the AMPTP. So they are not part of the negotiations at all, even if these movies have stars in them. The Priscilla case is weird. I was just catching up on this as you were talking. It's it's so it's an A24 movie, but the reason that it clears is because it was shot in Canada. Because SAG will only issue the interim interim agreements for 
productions do, do not um, operate under WGA rules. Sophia Coppola is in WGA, but because the movie was shot in Canada for some reason, it actually qualifies. So there's so many weirdo qualifiers on these things that I think you're not going to see that many stars out there. I think Ferrari is a big question mark. We know that Penelope Cruz and Adam Driver can go to Venice, but we don't know if they will because we don't know if that will make them look too much like they're scabbing. Um, so I think it's yeah, which I, I, think I, the I do think even when the, stars, when the stars show up, it'll probably be in a muted capacity. Yes. Yeah. They're not going to be booking covers, at least not that I have heard of. Like, I think there's an entire apparatus around this that I'm definitely part of that's really trying to figure out how to do this. And I think the creator is really visible. And then you get movies from Netflix, Warner Brothers, uh, Apple, all kinds of other places that are part of AMTP, P, AMPTP. I mean, Maestro is premiering at Venice next week. Uh, Bradley Cooper is the star and the director and won't be there. Then um, I think that leaves a really huge hole. I think Bradley Cooper's personal reps who want him to win an Oscar are probably freaking out. <laughs> um, but I think if you're talking about a really visible sign of the strike, there's going to be a ton of those at these festivals. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, but, but uh, yeah, I, I, you, there will be a very different vibe to these places. I mean, maybe less so in Telluride, where even when it's a star-studded edition, the whole ethos and appeal of the festival is that um, that you don't really feel like everyone is sort of thrown together and it feels like one sort of big melting pot of incredibly affluent people and journalists. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Venice is going to be a very different vibe. You know, the more emphasis on the movies, less emphasis on whether or not Harry um, Crane, Styles. no, what's his name? Styles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should be so lucky to have something as fun as Don't Worry, uh, Darling, whether spit he, drama. Whether Movies he's need that. on Chris Pine. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe, uh, as a result, we'll have less of an emphasis on standing ovations. If, if Brendan Fraser isn't there to get a 15 minute standing ovation, or whatever, then maybe we don't have to read those insufferable stories. Um, and Toronto, I don't know. I mean, it, the red carpets will suffer. Maybe King street will be less crowded. Uh, the, those of us who are on the ground, Katie, myself, um, will be able to move more freely. <laughs> maybe it's the silver <laughs> well, lining. We're worried, uh, worried about that. But, yeah. Yeah, I know. But say, I mean, it really is a wall of humanity uh, for those 10 minutes every year where you're stuck in it. You, you wish it weren't the case. But um, but to Patch's question about whether or not it, it undermines the strike, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like in the public imagination, the discourse, the way that we think about it and talk about it in the fight at hand, the battle lines are so well drawn, the cause so widely supported. Um, I don't feel like there is... And I could, I mean, who knows if the strike goes on for another year from now and we have another iteration, another round of festivals that are looking for loopholes, um, even as SAG continues to close some of them, um, maybe I will eat these words. But for now, it doesn't feel like a necessarily dangerous precedent to have a couple movies that were, oh, that, why? You know, didn't benefit. Like, I don't know. I, maybe I, this is I, a devil's advocate thing, but like, okay. why, do, why do these movies get a pass? Because I've got because rich people. Because they're in. not part of the AMPTP negotiation. What? Yeah, I mean, right, I, but like, I, I, are, isn't like, SAG uh, giving favor to certain I, actors in a time when well, they will want to promote the movies to get well, Oscars? That a is lot of the, the movies industry. that have gotten the waiver you haven't heard of because they're tiny movies that are going to do whatever they can to scratch out the promotion they can do, including a lot of movies right. premiering at TIFF that don't have distribution, that have God knows who in the actual cast. And even Scarlett some with Johansson like... Yeah, I mean, even some of these are going to have like celebrities in them. Um, and again, those celebrities are going to have to tread really lightly on what they're able to do. But also all the companies that have gotten these interim agreements have agreed to the terms of what SAG is asking for. That gets a victory for these to be productive, like producers who are saying, hey, yeah, fine, we'll give you everything you're asking for. I mean, I think our, if our general operating procedure is to go along with what SAG is saying, we don't really have much of a leg to stand on to, to take you know, issue with something that may benefit a select group of other people. I mean, you, if, if you know, we are able to continue writing, continue to watch things uh, freely without feeling like we are betraying the cause or scabbing because uh, SAG has, their leadership has repeatedly said that they don't discourage us from doing those things. And if they are going to make these waivers, I mean, I don't really see, I just, I don't think that um, uh, a quick photo call of Adam Driver and Ferrari is going to undermine the entire. It's not like it's going to get suddenly, him that Oscar. 
the Bob Iger's of the world are going to feel emboldened. Um, I, I, I don't feel that way. Maybe for uh, the span of a news cycle on Twitter, um, that could be the discourse. I don't know. Uh, but I, I don't feel like it's going to make much of a difference one way or the other. I don't think it does make a gigantic, huge difference, but I also don't think that it's entirely altruistic that a lot of the ones that are getting through also have stars in them. Like, I appreciate... Uh, the one thing that is absolutely true that I'll stand by is I am not heading up either of these unions, and if they get together like they have with these waivers, SAG and has consulted with the WGA, and everybody says this is fine, and the union says it's fine, I support the union. But there's definitely a part of me that's like, the more we make this hurt, the faster it ends. Period. That's just a line. Um, luckily, I'm not the person that has to make that decision. And I'm glad uh, they you have clarified people to do it. that you're not Fran Drescher. I was really worried that that um, distinction hadn't been made. Yet. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, if I if I keep smoking, eventually I'll get there, <laughs> and then it's then it's going to be real hard to tell us apart. Uh, do you feel uh, like now you understand why Jacob Elordi is deserves to be on the Venice red carpet? Patches. Who is Elordi? That? Elordi. <laughs> He's on Euphoria. <laughs> He's playing Elvis in the Sofia Coppola movie. Oh, I don't wow. know. Sure is. Are we ready for another Elvis movie? Uh, I, I mean, read I'm ready Priscilla for another Elvis movie. Memoir. I, the world is ready for another Elvis movie. It uh, felt like a cruel bit of trolling when, like, shortly after I saw Elvis, <laughs> it was announced that this was going to be Sofia Coppola, one of my favorite filmmakers, new films. Um, but I think uh, it's going to be, I, I would venture a guess to say it's going to be slightly different than the Baz Luhrmann take on similar material. <laughs> I think so. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. I hope Tom Hanks just... shows up for like a, a Marvel style I actually want that in Dune uh, and more than I wanted in the new Elvis Presley movie. You want to see want Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks to show in up, that cause... makeup to emerge from like a black goo pool and be like, uh, "He's white." <laughs> no, no, no. I just wanted to notice white. that Austin Butler's white again. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, that was my question, everyone. The one uh, button I'll put on this is that I also read this week. If you are lost in the in the maelstrom of all the communication over the strike, and if you are just a person on the sidelines who likes watching movies and it's confusing about solidarity and support and how you're supposed to feel about if Adam Driver shows up to Venice and wait, wasn't he supposed to be on strike at the front lines? Ah, he got an interim group. Ah, it's so confusing. How do you feel about this? The thing I was heartened by this week as well is that the Entertainment Community Fund, which is the the, the fund, uh, the drive to uh, get money for everybody who is on strike during this tough time, it's raised more than $7 million and uh, four, about $4.5 million has been given out to film and TV workers during these strikes, and that's so cool. Um, and, and you can go to their website, too, to give money if you want to support writers or actors or, or whoever, because there's so many different types of people working during this strike. Um, and yes, it's really confusing, but thank you for entertaining my question. This has been a great podcast. Uh, good night. I can buy myself flowers Write my name in sand Talk to myself for Uh, Only Murders in the Building is back for its third season. It continues to uh, make me, not a boomer, think that Steve Martin and Martin Short are the <laughs> funniest people who have ever existed, uh, which is not something I ever gave that much thought to before really? this show. Like Father and the Bride? I or... like Father and the Bride fine. I mean, but also, like, Martin Short can <laughs> often be, like, way too much. I think Father and the Bride is an example of that. Um, well, like Santa Claus 3? Escape have I ever seen Santa <laughs> Claus crossed? 3? I'm not certain I have seen Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, I don't what's... think it's going to help. I'm trying to think of Martin seen, Short's I've never seen Clifford. Uh, Clifford is a great best film. Movie? But... What's Martin Short's best movie? All right, I'll let you look that up. Glick. Uh, it's not a movie. It's a, it's an interview show. That's it's a, prime I mean, Glick. Oh, Jimmy right. Glick. Well, yeah. No, I think television for Martin Short is a whole separate thing. Oh, yeah. So the other thing about Only Murders is like, it's how many episodes of Aaron as we record this? Four? Or uh, we're up through the white room. I have seen two of them. I don't wa I don't go through the show very fast, and I don't know why. It's not like I'm actively trying to savor it, but it's so like steady that I feel like I can kind of come back to it whenever I want. I guess in theory, like I could get spoiled on who the murderer is the season, so I should maybe hurry up at some point. 
Um, but then every time I turn it on, I enjoy it so much. And again, become convinced that C. Martin and Martin Short are the funniest people who ever need to exist. Dave, do you go through the show more quickly than I do? Yeah, I, I do it the day it comes out. Um, I enjoy it as uh, viewing TV the way I used to view TV, just once a week on the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, especially uh, this season, I've been wanting to catch up earlier because they've sort of uh, switched up the format of the show to expand it a little bit. If you guys remember the end of season two, we jumped forward a year and Oliver Putnam is back being a Broadway producer. He's producing a show with Paul Rudd as the lead and he drops dead at uh, opening night uh, during his first uh, lines in the theater. And that's where we left at the end of season two. Season three picks up. We get to backtrack, sort of see how the show came about. Uh, and then we make it up to Paul Rudd dying on stage and everybody panics and they make a little joke about how they couldn't do a podcast about this one because the murder didn't happen in the building. But lo and behold, Paul Rudd gets better from his poisoning, apparent poisoning. Uh, this is still in the first episode of season three. I'm still setting up the premise <laughs> and uh, comes back. Uh, he's a big douchebag. They sort of uh, hint that he's, uh, you know, this uh, Marvel adjacent in this universe. He plays a superhero called the Cobra, Cobra. who is a, <laughs> a gentleman who could turn into a giant Cobra. Is he a cobra? Um, yes. Is he a bro? Yes. Yes. Uh, in episode three, we get to see a, uh, I'm assuming, life-size statue of the cobra because uh, Paul Rudd has moved into the apartment at the Arcadia what? that once had Sting and then had Amy Schumer in it. Now uh, it is Paul Rudd's character he lives there. Um, Don't you and, mean the building? Uh, not the, it's a building, not an apartment. No, right? there's, there's like one apartment that has been occupied by all of these oh, very famous but, but, but it's in the building. Yeah, it's, it's in, in the building. It is yeah. oh, Paul building. Rudd. Only Paul Rudd's in the building. So after he uh, gets better after his apparent death, uh, he goes, you know, back upstairs to his apartment, and our group of detectives is uh, talking about how now they could, you know, finally do the show. And it's also kind of sad because Mabel needs to move out of the building. Her aunt is finally going to sell the unit, and so it looks like everybody's breaking up until. Paul Rudd's corpse falls through the the roof of the elevator because somebody tossed him down the elevator shaft. Uh, so we're back and, on. And Jackie Hoffman, who is the mean neighbor, gets to deliver a perfect, are you fucking kidding me, when he exactly. shows up there, which is great. Jackie Hoffman is the best. <laughs> we're, we're back on. They're doing another podcast, but this season is not so podcast forward, especially after last season's sort of warring podcasts. Uh, this one is i'm gonna say it's a semi-musical season uh once they decide oh once uh martin shorts oliver decides that he can't uh stop he can't let this show be a failure and they're gonna pull his funding now that his leading man has died uh he in order to keep it alive decides he's gonna turn this play called it was a drama called death rattle uh he's now going to turn it into a musical called death rattle dazzle And so because of that, there's a musical element to the show. Uh, Basically, every episode has at least one musical moment, whether it's hallucinated or performed uh, for a rehearsal or what have you. And all of this is talking around the real addition to season three, which is Meryl Streep, who plays a character that has been attempting to be a Broadway actress for decades and has now finally been noticed for her first big part in Death rattle. Did she kill? Oh, Paul that's Rudd? funny because in real life, Meryl Streep is incredibly famous. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. Yeah, I, I oh. see what they what they did there. And talented, which her character yeah. is not well, necessarily. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like just yeah, because you brought up her in musical she, doesn't mean you have to have into the woods top of mind. She's. Good I mean that she she definitely has a pretty breakout <laughs> duet in episode three. Um, oh so can I, can I, they are using I, Meryl Streep there. I need yeah. to jump in here with a more macro take, even though this is a short segment and we'll, we'll wrap up here. But like Matt you describing this, I'll be watching the show. My wife <laughs> loves it. I, it's not my favorite, but like I as a huge musical theater dork who likes musical movies. What is it? There's something about musical TV episodes. Strange New World just did this. And I passed out i was like this is so cringe and any music any 
television show that does a musical episode, I just cringe my teeth out. And, like, I could not watch Smash. No thank you mm. to Smash. Mm. This does not sound fun. Doing the, the musical is... season of Only Murders, like, no, right? They aren't, Why? How is this good? They aren't, they aren't doing a musical in the sense that they aren't singing the actual emotions of sure, the characters in the they're, show. They're, they're finding reasons for them to sing. I just don't know why I don't like this. This is I'm I'm I don't know. looking in I feel like here. as a musical theater person you should be immune to cringe. Like musical theater is cringe. I and know. We like it because we don't care. How is it getting past my uh I don't even know the word wall? No, that's not very funny. Well, uh, I mean, the thing, the, the power of it is they're really, and I think why Katie is still uh, really engaged in the uh, the trio and their comedy stylings is uh, it really, uh, like, bears down on what Martin Short and Steve Martin can do well, which is more of this, like, absurdism uh, that uh, doesn't always ex coexist with murder in the easiest ways. Mm. In the most recent episode from this week, uh, Steve Martin's Charles character has his part in the musical because he can't sing as he gets assigned a patter song, which he says is basically like rapping and he's not good at rapping. And every time he tries to perform it, he blacks out uh, and we see him in a hallucination of a white room uh, wearing a white suit, dancing around like he's completely re relaxed. And then it cuts back and he's uh, holding a baby doll prop. His pants are off. He's holding his shoe. He's sitting in a crib. And everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? He's like, I blacked out. And he has to learn that in order to calm himself, he has to make a omelet in order to remember the lyrics of the patter song. So it's sort of musical theater in that that's what's happening, I think, more than the murder investigation right now. Uh, but I do think the show has stepped up and just become less of a murder show and more of a hilarious character show, which has so far been working for me. I mean, we're only four episodes into the 10 episode season. So almost halfway. And I, I think I get it, but you could definitely feel uh, less of a, uh, less of a need to string a red herring through each episode. Uh, like uh, previous seasons have had the thing that's hooking you this season is probably not going to be the murder. One day, if you're someone Please, who loves I... a theory and a, and a mystery to unravel and it sounds like you don't, it turns out you don't actually need it on this show. Yeah. Because you know, you got, you got all all three of your your leads. I mean, uh, Selena Gomez attempts to speak to somebody her own age in episode four, and uh, absolutely fails miserably because she is also seventy something in her comedy stylings when she's with these people. And so, uh, just letting them talk about who should or should not be eating dips and uh, what to do with possible romantic connections uh, actually works on this show. I think after the two seasons it's built up. But when mm. when Tina Fey pops up again, I'm like, please no, we no don't we don't need this. We don't. Yeah, we don't and need that kind it. of that kind of answers my question, which is as someone who watched like the first nine episodes of the first season and then just kind of trailed off, and now as we were recording the segment, looked up to finally learn who was the murderer in the first season, and then wow, greeted that information by being like, okay. Um, is, is this a show that is meant to have exciting payoffs when the reveals are announced? I mean, like, does it uh, obviously they would prefer them to be exciting, but is there is there a weight behind them? Does it feel like it is worth the mystery or is it really just about the laughs you have along the way? Is that the real murders in the building? Mm. The I first mean, maybe season Katie reveal was more of like a like it had like some emotional heft to it and there was kind of a lot of like red herrings to get there. So there's, it's kind of the not just the laughs, but like the thrill of the mystery itself. And in season two, they did kind of like a bunch of fake outs around the reveal of the murderer, which I also found highly enjoyable. So I don't know if it's supposed to just be like, oh, my God, I can't believe it was this person. But like, watch all of the dominoes fall into place to get you there. Yeah. And I've sort of learned that I like, even though I could have theories, I'm probably not going to figure it out based on the previous two seasons. Yeah. So uh, them sort of lightening up that... Uh, that that sort of uh, non-existent ticking clock that I had in my mind has actually really worked, and I've been able to focus on how you know some of these punchlines are really fucking witty mm -hmm. for this this type of show. So I'm still on board, but it is a different it's a different season of Only Murders in the Building, unless we uh, absolutely pivot back to podcast because something goes wrong with the show. But we'll we'll see. Nothing that was said sounded more compelling than 
any episode of Love Island, but I'll take your word for it. Wow. Your turn will come to talk about Love Island, David. Be patient. Run them jewels fast. Run them, run them jewels fast. Run them, run them, run them, run them, run them, run them. Fuck the slow mo. If it wasn't for my dear friend, Katie Rich, I would have forgotten there was a monarchy in England (laughs) at all. Because every time I think I'm out, I get drugged back in. It's a thicket about the royal family. In this case, it's a fictional royal family. As I decided to check out, because Katie said we should check it out, and then I saw the internet was exploding with reactions to a little movie on Amazon called Red, White, and Royal Blue. It appears to have been a successful adaptation of a novel that was a gay romantic comedy, and this definitely is a gay romantic comedy movie in which the son of a president played by Uma Thurman doing an accent that is supposed to be Texan, but she has made up out of whole cloth, falls in love with uh, the spare prince, uh, something that's now in my vocabulary. Uh, It wasn't wasn't in your vocabulary because of the book that Prince Harry wrote called Spare. I mean, that has also happened since you've, uh, we've covered the things that have been happening uh, with the Vanity Fair podcast and such. Got it. So I still still knowledge that I, I blame you for knowing about. That's but yes, fair. there's That's a spare. Uh, he's been living a closeted life. Uh, but in the opening scene, him and a son of the president are caught in a awkward situation when a gigantic cake falls on them during a ceremony at some palace. You know how and, that happens. Oh, yeah. And the response is because apparently there's a trade deal going on. Uh, these two need to pretend like they've been best friends forever. So uh, th- what begins as a forced interaction between these two men turns very sexy and then into an actual relationship uh, over the course of Red, White, and Royal Blue. And then as the format of rom-coms uh, would have you expecting, they are torn apart by a conflict only at the end to decide to uh, proclaim their feelings for each other. Uh, King Stephen Fry be damned. Um, <laughs> Katie, I enjoyed this story a lot. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed uh, seeing a gay sex scene with some thrusts. I just think more sex scenes should, if they're committing to it's it, truly have some spoken thrusts. like someone who has not seen passages yet. But go on. <laughs> I mean, that's not available to rent on Amazon Prime, not yet, at least. <laughs> um, uh, but I do think. I was yelling at this movie several times Mm -hmm. because uh, there are parts of it that seem uh, cheaper than they need to have looked. It's the most outrageously cheap movie I've seen in a long time. Okay, good. I'm I'm not crazy on that. Uh, The second is, I think it's uh, like in terms of cinematography and staging, uh, also kind of boring. Mm -hmm. There's a a scene at uh, President's Son's uh, New Year's party. What's his name? Wherever. What's the character? I mean, character's I should name? probably be looking these. Things. I read the book uh, and saw the movie. I don't remember his name. Uh, Alex. 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 Where everybody's getting low to this song from his childhood called "Low," and everybody gets low except for him and the prince, and they stare the at each other like... from across the room. Everybody no. gets low, 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 low. That yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, and I was like, "Hey, movie, more like that." never does anything that interesting visually mm-hmm. for the rest of its runtime. Yeah. You know what's um, one thing that's really interesting about the also British produced Love Island is that oh, they have, this Christ. actually David, is David. interesting. This actually is interesting and speaks to Dave's point is that I quickly learned by the fact that unlike American reality shows like Love is Blind and whatnot, which use the most generic like AI generated music they can in every, you know, to, to wallpaper every emotional beat in the entire show. If you watch something like Love Island and maybe something like Red, White, and Blue. You'd better um, be getting to a point really fast. You, It's constantly, it's like Taylor Swift. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, is there, is there, are there other musicians on the earth? I don't know. But there are, it's just constantly these major songs. And it's because, uh, after doing some, some reading about this, I found out that 
in Britain, they have completely different approaches to music licensing than we do in the United States, including the the uh, conglomerates and the people who own ITV2 and maybe your Amazon affiliates in the UK buying these massive packages of famous songs rather than paying for songs a la carte. Uh, and maybe it allows for scenes like Get Low in Red Royal. What's it called? Red, White, and Royal Blue? Red, White, and Royal Blue. I'm going to guess they just threw money at it, uh, the music song. licensing. I hope that song that sounds uh, like 20 years old. It's kind of the point. Well, the rest, the rest, because this is Alex Claremont Diaz, I looked this up. Mm -hmm. uh, Uma Thurman is uh, married to Clifton Collins Jr. So there's a white woman who is married to a Mexican senator from Texas and a large part of this movie you may not think so based on how I described it but it's about a voter registration drive in Texas <laughs> and Rachel Maddow uh, uh, plays a decent size supporting role the appearing as herself on does? television yeah wait everything say, has to be contextualized I heard Rachel McAdams what did you actually say Rachel Maddow Rachel Maddow oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that's more plausible than Rachel McAdams being in this movie yeah uh, I'm gonna throw to Katie real quick but I want to throw in like overall thoughts um the gentleman playing Prince Henry, uh, Nicholas Galtzine, uh, is uh, like a like a wannabe Skarsgård, and when he leans into it, I really dig it. Um, but he's opposing act, uh, op he's acting opposite Taylor Perez, who is bringing a real Disney Channel energy to everything. <laughs> so it's like so incredibly earnest with some incredibly awkwardly written scenes. I have expressed these opinions to peep other people, uh, specifically friend of the pod, Joanna Robinson, who's like, the book was so much better and then sent me an article about ways that the book was better. Uh, but I'm not sure I enjoyed this movie overall, Katie, even though it had moments where I was laughing. I don't I don't mm -hmm. think I was laughing at what I was supposed to be laughing at. Yeah. Um, what'd you think? Uh, I, I probably, I think you're trying to be nice to this movie for my sake, which I appreciate, but I do, I was frustrated by it for, I think a lot of the same reasons you talked about it, like looking boring. And there's this like boringness that settles in, in a lot of ways It shouldn't be there. And like this forbidden love between two like famous dudes across the ocean. Um, and certainly wasn't there in the book. Although I think the book is like fine. It's very silly. It also kicks off with them like causing an international incident by crashing into a wedding cake and then having to like fake being friends. It's just like, okay, like, we couldn't come up with any like less contrived way to put these two people together. Um, you pinning down Disney Channel energy really like clicked something into place for me because I thought that guy really got on my nerves. Um, and I think the other the guy playing Prince Henry is like fine. I don't see the Skarsgård thing at all. He had such like he has such like a mushy good guy face about him but maybe that's just like the styling to look like a prince um but like it made me think about what we see when we see chemistry between people on screen and i don't know that any of us really have like the exact definition of it but these two just don't really have it and so every time that they're like sharing a scene together even when they're supposed to be falling in love and part of the story challenge is that like they have they're separated but like it's not a real relationship it's like they meet each other as soon as they decide they're together, they are together and deeply in love and committed forever. And there is no wavering in that whatsoever. And that also becomes boring to watch. In addition to the fact that like they don't just seem to like be on screen together. Like there's this weird void in the middle there. And I don't know who to blame it on or if there is anyone to blame. Um, but it just makes the whole movie feel flat all the way around them. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And then it. it, it it leans on some really obvious, but then also weird choices. So the way I was able to make peace with this, because I was very angry after it ended. I was angry that I watched it. I'm sorry. You was ready to bur watch the world burn. You've watched a lot of dumb stuff, and I'm sorry that this really was uh, the hot, hot high on that oh, list. It, that's okay. I got to watch a uh, restored print of El Momia afterwards. I talked about it on last week's podcast. It restored my faith in cinematography Cinema. <laughs> being able to tell tell a story in the, in the camera's uh, ability to depict emotion and life right this one apparently is just not for me because who did drift in to see the dumb shit i was watching because i was like java come look at this dumb shit i was watching was mm. java mm -hmm. and she's like this is the cousin of an entire genre of things on netflix that you haven't seen yes it is uh, and that's i think why this works for people this uh like flaky rom-com that stretches credulity that maybe has a performance or two is apparently a thing that i'm just bypassing 
uh, on Netflix. Uh, but yeah. you know, otherwise, this has a this this actually hit a target. It was just a not me target and a target I was unaware of. Yeah, but this uh, that's movie what I was seem to be gathering promoted to kind of get outside of that orbit. Like I think the fact that it doesn't, you know, it's directed by this guy who's a playwright, but he wrote The Inheritance, which is like a really big major play. Like it, it had credentials behind it. They got Stephen Fry to play the king. And Uma Thurman, God bless her, to play the president. Although I do think she and Clifton Collins Jr., like the handful of times they're on screen together, I'm like, I would watch them play a couple again. There's there's something there. Uh, yeah, I'd watch so a movie about that presidency, guys. actually. I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm down with that. It's kind of West Wingy in a way. Like, it's so liberal, it's funny. Like, the dad at one point, like, I think it's supposed to be the coming out scene. And he's like, hey, I was the champion of gender neutral bathrooms in Austin. And you're like, oh, that's the kind of like liberal. Uh, administration yeah. we're looking at here. Uma Thurman's like, here's the prescriptions you need to be on if you're bottoming, and I, like in the Oval <laughs> Office eating pizza. I and I'm like, cute. like that was a part where the humor of the movie like kind of came to life a little bit, as opposed to all oh, like yeah. the flirting humor, which is just kind of like, whoa. Yes, I agree. These people can't flirt, uh, nor can they be uh, positive. Okay, here's the thing about uh, Alex's uh, little Texas adventure. Uh, if it was that easy, then I would believe Alex could do it. But also, don't give him credit if it's that easy. He's, Re he's doing to nothing. Vote, you're talking about? Yeah, he's just read. He registers a million people to vote, and that flips Texas, and that uh, means that she wins the election at the end of the movie. Yeah, which I think is fine. But also, it's like there's not because the story is about Alex and Prince Henry. There's nothing besides his accomplishments politically. To make me think, like, what would he say to, like, a group of organizers about, like, why they, you know, yeah, how that's to all actually montage. Yeah, motivate young people? I'm like, what experience does this kid have to motivate people the way that he's treated, like, you know, this upcoming uh, future, you know, player in the Democratic Party? I'm like, it feels like the movie bites off a little too much than it could chew in that point um, because it poses a lot of interesting questions. Uh, but then ultimately ends up being like, you know, the conservative nightmare. That's what's reality in our story world. Yeah. It's just the son of the president could fly down to Texas and register a million Democratic mm -hmm. votes. That just by force of personality. Actually, probably just by abs. I, I will say. He's got good abs. Perez. Look, they're, you, they're both pretty cut. Two good looking guys. Uh, you're right that there is the thrust. I mean, the sex scenes, I think, have been talked about as being like, you know, more frank than what you would normally see, but again, still like not that interesting, which just doesn't be, like if you spend an hour like building up this like romantic tension between two people and get to that point, like it should feel like something and it just is there. And I don't know why. Yep. Matt Patches, I have a question for you. <laughs> you muted yourself over the course I of did. Well, I didn't want to be heavy breathing into the mic, but I kept waiting to chime in with a should Ira Sachs have directed this film joke? But <laughs> I haven't seen Passages, but once I do, I will weigh in on that. But I was going to ask you to the thing I was asking earlier about what makes chemistry on screen. Do you have an answer to this about what makes it so that we see two people together and we're like, yep, I believe it? That I, 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 when you said that, I was, I was trying to think of good examples or maybe the like before trilogy like why mm. does maybe because i was thinking of uma thurman and ethan hawk as well while yeah. you're talking i was trying to go down the oh, like who does uma thurman live with now i, I think she's single anyway that's really not relevant um <laughs> but ethan hawk and julie delpy obviously have amazing chemistry and mm -hmm. and grow it over over three movies in, in lots of different ways but um yeah why why do some people work? And I, I think it has to do with shooting the movie. I think it has to do with editing the movie. The way you talk yeah. about this movie seems like the craft is is off and that the cheap production, like chemistry, like many other elements of movies, needs time to grow. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you are shooting under the gun and have a choppy schedule and have to get everything in the can, it's pretty hard to conjure chemistry unless you have time to like know each other and meet each other and understand how you your partner in the movie talks and and cheap movies can't really find chemistry i that would be my that's a really theory. practical way to approach it but i think i bet more correct than anything that you would pin on the actors the cheap movies can't i don't know i don't know i don't know i think no out. i'm not saying they i'm saying cheap movies probably have steeper hill to climb when it comes to finding chemistry with actors 
because like you know before sunset's a cheap movie but that's just like a different way of approaching limitations of budget i think we read a lot about the making of movies where the actors have real chemistry and you hear about the time it they spent like hanging out in pre-production or having a little bit of audition time or not audition time rehearsal time to to really hone the relationships it's all about time everything that goes right on a movie is about maximizing time that's my my big take i mean okay, if you didn't have time. Not, not a very flashy take <laughs> yeah. if, i was an ad movie, sorry if this movie doesn't have time for them to develop chemistry i guess i can understand but like also block them so they can touch without having to fuck if these guys are touching <laughs> they're about to fuck wait That's but how, like... how hot how hot is the fucking are we talking here it's like could you say disney, right? this is a it's, not, disney it's not incredibly movie really throws me off because i was picturing this as something really chintzy and twee and then we're also talking about sexy fucking and now i'm not really sure what it, the it, it's all disney of those channel. things it, you know it's it's the performance is just very like hello i am a chipper young guy uh kind of is, the whole is time. it does it feel like a disney like a porno version of a disney movie where it's like a disney <laughs> no. movie like a disney channel movie but then every 10 scenes there's a gratuitous no 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 there's like one sex scene that we actually get to do it is kind of disney-ish in the sense that they have sex in Paris in a hotel room, but perfectly uh, window frames the Eiffel Tower <laughs> as they're tumbling into bed. Uh, but then after that, it's actually very uh, quiet. It's very and, like hugs and know. tears and like cuddles. Yes, yes. It's not. There is some thrusting, but uh, that was me trying to give it like a bare compliment for, you yeah. know, doing doing something. Uh, mostly this movie is uh, very... For example, when it looks like they aren't going to see each other anymore, Prince Henry cuts off contact. He can't come out. He's a prince. Uh, Alex is in uh, Washington, D.C. and decides, I'm not going to let this stand. I'm going to stand up for my love. We cut to him walking drenched into the palace where Prince Henry is. We've cut past a plane ride. We've cut past however he got wet. We cut it's past raining. Like a it's real... always raining when you come to progress your love to the person who left you behind. We, we even cut past the exterior of whatever fucking palace we're in. There's just a really quick shorthand where it's like, you guys, this isn't your first rom-com. Yeah. Because if it is, I don't know who you are. But it's not your first rom-com, so we could just get to the beat that you know is going to come. Yeah. I wish there were more scenes in this movie that popped, even if it just popped because they were so bad. It would be popping, you know. Well, yeah, and I, uh, I feel like stuff that does pop is with like the aides around him. Like, there's like the Secret Service agent who like hints that she like neutralized the threat of a child in a hospital at one point, or like the political aide mm -hmm. who's like, "You can't be fucking the prince. Like, it's gonna mess up our poll numbers." And like the writing is fine, but there is some kind of like energy in those sequences. There are two black characters who I understand get full storylines in the novel that are reduced here to the black the black friends that I was just like oh yeah and they get together <laughs> it seems it seems like they're really uh, like one is like uh, the best friend of uh, Prince Henry and has been for a long time and the other like is some sort of advisor and also the granddaughter of the vice president who we never meet. Uh, but, but I feel like that could have also been a character. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, again, yeah, the the book is definitely like has like kind of populated cast. I mean, book rom coms function a lot differently, where you get like this like a kooky group of friends surrounding your yeah. central team. So even if they're boring, you have other things to rely on. I need both more com and more rom uh, in movies like this. Yeah. Uh, to really get it to the enjoyable part, I don't think there's any leap where this was going to be excellent, but. Definitely more ROM or WarCom would have made it rewatchable instead of one watchable, which is uh, definitely what it was for me. Yeah, yeah, I would not rewatch. I would like I would probably reread the book at some point. Like if I don't know, I don't know when I run out of other things to read because um, I found it like silly but perfectly enjoyable. Um, maybe it's just like things are better when you can imagine them in your head. Sometimes yeah, the book's well, better I mean, than the movie. I I hear the uh, next book by uh, the author Casey McQuiston. McQuiston, yeah, McQuiston. Uh, is a book called One Last Stop that's about uh, time traveling subway lesbians. Yep. And I'm like, mm -hmm. only ah, only one I, of them time travels and she's just I stuck would, in a temporal loop on the subway. I'd watch that. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that. Are they making a movie of that one? I read that book. It's also fine. 
<laughs> it's very new, like very like young, scrappy New Yorky. So maybe it'll remind us of our our youth. Oh, it'll make us feel old. Yeah, it'll probably make it. We're old. Uh, this movie didn't make me feel old. I mean, maybe if Texas actually flips in the next election, then I'll be like, and people are like, red, white, and royal blue predicted it. Then I'll feel old. But, uh, uh, when yeah. I Google one last stop movie, I get a change.org petition asking for a one last stop movie, which I don't think is how those are made. Um, so as far as I know, there's no movie yet. Got it. Well, as if you believe Amazon and you shouldn't because uh, there's a writer strike on and why would they tell you the truth? Mm -hmm. This is pretty successful for them. So maybe we'll get a one last stop and we could have a fun time traveling subway lesbians because uh, Katie it just... No more royals, please. That would be great. Uh, I don't have any in, in store, but, you know, no promises. Fine. I'll also never leave you hanging, so I'm, I'm torn between our friendship <laughs> and just really wanting to never think about the royal family again. Look, these are fictional royals. They have a sister in addition to the two brothers. It's totally different. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Are you ready for this? Oh, shit. Oh. That does it for this week's show. Next week, David will be off to God, you know, some some far-flung, beautiful location. I'll be watching like probably Colorado. at that point, Series 5 of Love Island UK, but in at like 9,000 feet above sea level. I'll remember this next time you talk about how you don't have time for things. I'm just going to file that one away. Uh, I don't have time for things because I'm always watching Love Island. It's true. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, executive editor over Polygon. I'm on X. No, no. I'm on Twitter, you at Mr. Patches, Blue Sky, Mr. Patches, Letterbox, Mr. Patches. And we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to our old episodes because we are old which means we've been doing this for a long time our listeners have far surpassed us in terms of both knowledge and success but you know what we're still doing it fighting in the warroom.com david ehrlich i am now filled with an intense regret over not swiping the mr patches screen name on blue sky post <laughs> and all of these other newfangled social media platforms just to spite matt uh, but you can find me also on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, um, where I suppose technically so it really is starting to feel like a ghost town. Uh, but more importantly, you can find me on IndieWire, where I'll be writing about all those festival films, starting with Telluride next week and some from Venice and Toronto. Uh, and you can find us all together on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We will read it live on the show. And if you can't do that, because you have the good fortune of not leaving, living in this country, Dave, tell them where they can make their voices heard. Well, you could email us at fitwr.podcast.gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I will definitely be there until my book comes out, because <laughs> I believe I'm contractually supposed to. Uh, you could Contractually that book. supposed? Unless you like Terms, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it specifically says like on Twitter and then I might be able to say like, well, Twitter doesn't exist anymore. But then like, who have I become? But I'm just um, saying the contracts don't often like make polite suggestions. It's like you because you're actually required. Well, you know? good news. I do have to promote it on as many social media outlets as I feel or as they feel I have authority on. One of those is podcasts. So go to the MCUbook.com, pre-order the book. That'd be great. Uh, otherwise, follow me on Twitter or Blue Sky. Uh, where I'm uh, DA7E. You can follow me on uh, threads and Instagram where I'm grumpy DA7E because that's how meta makes me feel. And uh, yeah, that's that's the plugs. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm looking up my Blue Sky handle because I haven't actually using Blue Sky. Um, I don't know why. I still haven't honestly figured out what I'm going to do here. But I'm on Blue Sky at Katie Rich and also on Twitter at Katie Rich. I'm not calling it X. Can't make me... Um, I'm on VanityFair.com on Little Gold Men. We've been doing a book club. Um, we talked about Leave the World Behind this week, which is a really fun and, uh, and scary book uh, that I recommend. The movie comes out later. I haven't seen it. Um, you can find us all on X. Are we going to join Blue Sky? Have we joined Blue Sky? Did someone sign us up yeah, over it's, there? It's not a lot going on over there either, but, <laughs> you know, who knows? I mean, I probably have accru accrued another invite at this point, so... <laughs> 
fit work coming Perhaps soon to we'll blue sky be on blue sky and we're still on twitter at fitwr you can find us there for now uh you can talk to us about which season of love island david should watch or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was in honor of grand turismo in theaters this week what video game activity do you think you could do in real life thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week Give me love you long time All my girls get down on the floor Back to back, drop it down real loud I'm such a lady, but I'm dancing like a house Cause you know what, I don't give a fuck, so here we go